Hello, you are listening to Onward with William McCarthy, live from Madrid. Hello, friends. It has been seven days since tour ended. I am here in Madrid, Spain, and my fingers are still calloused and hard, which is a sign that tour wasn't long ago, and I'm sadly watching them get soft by the day. I'm here in my old stomping grounds, Madrid. Um... Probably only my close friends really realize that this is probably the place I'm most connected to in Europe. I've been here the most. I've come uh, the most amount of times. Um, and my history with Madrid goes way back. Uh, I guess I'll start by talking about the tour. Firstly, thank you very much for coming. Um, seeing your faces every night, starting in Germany, going all through Europe all the way to Ireland and back for a final sold-out night in London. What a joy. What an honor. Uh, you know, it's funny when you go go towards these things. You know, you book them, you're on the phone, you say yes to things, and you get closer to them and you think, oh my God, can I do this? I don't really get nervous anymore. I would say I, I get into a place of overthinking, and that's just normal. But I can't... Thank you enough because uh, it was a, it was a little bit of a shaky winter for me, coming out of um, the Augustines split, and uh, you know I was I was concerned about my future, and I feel a lot better now. Um, so, God, there were so many you know laughs and inside jokes and call and response, and you guys reaching out, and those are my favorite kind of shows, is where it's reciprocal and we're kind of working together. And isn't that funny? Isn't that what the differences are between, you know, different festivities like parties, you know? How many New Year's parties have we been to and how many have been totally shit and how how many have been cool? And you start realizing when when you, you know, when you go to shows or when you perform at shows, it's really a chemistry thing. Um, some people are just, they jive well and the chemistry works and the night is just really special. You go to some New Year's New Year's Eve parties and it's kind of like a yawn. And then we don't really know why that is. It's just a chemistry. This is what makes, you know, couples fall in love. And this is what makes people be, you know, bonded for life and friends and have um, memories that they'll cherish forever on holiday, you know, bumping into someone on the beach and they just become friends forever. That chemistry is something that happens in a music venue too. And I watch it with my own eyes, and it's really beautiful because when it's special, it's special. And I work really hard, so even when it's not special, it's still pretty fucking good. <laughs> so anyway, here I am in España. Um, so, you know, my history goes back. I was living in Ireland. This is years ago. This is in the late 90s. This is really when I, it kicked off for me. I was a teenager. I had discovered, like, the Greyhound. I had discovered... Um, busking and you know pretty pretty soon I was going to Europe and and the ill-fated you know European journey that my book's largely about is this uh you know I was working as a doorman and I was reading National Geographic and I found this spread on Ireland and I remember my grandparents always 
you know, always talking about Ireland and I moved to Cork, you know, Cork, Ireland. And it was, it was great because music's a currency there. It's like a social currency when it's, it's part of the fabric of, of the culture. And that, you know, I didn't really experience that growing up. Um, it was an insular kind of introverted, isolated thing. Um, anyway, so I went to Ireland and found music and it was time to go and I, I needed another place to go. And I had been in Mexico a little bit earlier that year and I heard this beautiful song called uh, La Malagueña. And it was such a gorgeous song that I got the words um, written out and transcribed and translated. And it was about, you know, the girl from Malaga. I don't know who wrote this song. I know that a group called Trio Los Panchos recorded it. Anyway, I decided that we had to go to Malaga. And as the lore and the legend would have it, um, one hand Neil, <laughs> one handed harmonica Neil from Cork, Ireland, who's still busking, told us um, to go to Benidorm. And uh, we, you know, I think we flew into a place called Lyon, no, it was Bavay, France, and we started hitchhiking. First stop, Barcelona, absolute disaster, and we were homeless. And when I mean hopping trains, I don't mean hopping boxcar, like boxcar Willie, hop, or hopping passenger trains and not paying and getting kicked off when we got kicked off. I think it's more criminalized now. It's like a, it's big, a big offense to do so, but it wasn't then. Anyway, first stop, Barcelona, absolutely homeless, going up against those fucking guys that spray paint themselves silver, and you know, the Marie Antoinette wigs and they're really you know the buskers are very serious man <laughs> it's like, um yeah you're, you're going up against some pretty far out people with like you know huge dresses and you know break dancing and sound effects and you know like in venice you know with those crazy like mime faces and we're battling those guys playing like woody guthrie tunes and stuff <laughs> and they kicked their ass we didn't make any money and i ended up wandering around you know cold it was february january february terrible and i remember sleeping climbing up and sleeping on a balcony and i woke up and they had just repaved the balcony i didn't see that at night so i curled up with all my my bags and i had a sleeping bag and i woke up in like cement covered you know hell and totally upset and climbed down from the balcony and uh well that's what i get for breaking and entering, I guess. <laughs> and I was miserable because that's all you really can do when you're homeless is try to keep yourself clean because then you can, you know, hustle your way around. Um, and when you look at homeless people, you know, it, it's an insight that a lot of them are sitting down. It's because they're exhausted. Being homeless is really tiring. Keeping yourself clean is a constant battle. When you don't have access to showers, keeping yourself presentable, like and, you know, by society's definition, is presentable. It's really hard. Um, taking what they call a horse bath, was it lips, tips, lips, tits, and armpits, <laughs> um, in bathrooms. Um, trying to brush your teeth, trying to keep toiletries in your bag, trying to stash your bag. Homeless is home. You know, homelessness is tough, tough stuff. Anyway. You know, we headed down south and ended up um, going to Benidorm. It was a total shit show, deep winter, and ended up en route towards Malaga. We got to Malaga, things fell apart, and 
we started busking on the streets and I lost my friend and there we were and no one was, not only were people not throwing coins in our case, there were really sketchy vibes from North Africa and Africa, like, um, I guess illegals, I guess you'd call them. Something like in California, how we have people, you know, border towns can be kind of a little bit sketchy at night. Some some of that vibe was happening. Guys selling CDs on the street, you know, when they lay out the blanket and they've got like keychains and stuff, very aggressive. Come here, man. Come here, man. Come here. It's like, Jesus, these guys, you know, <laughs> we're not in, uh, not in Cork anymore. And you know, we're wandering around and it just got harder and harder. And I remember... Um, trying to stay at a couple of hostels and that didn't work and there's a beach but it was a little too cold and uh hungry 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 constantly hungry and i remember you know we were hungry to the point where if someone came back and they had ate it was like what do you mean you ate you ate without me man and that's kind of like traveling together you know and singing together sleeping next to each other traveling eating coming back with you know a loaf of bread coming back with tobacco just being cold and uh, got we got separated, and before we got separated, one of our parting uh, our parting experiences was that I decided to steal a chicken. And it sounds funny, but I told this story in in my storytelling tour. I saw a Chinese restaurant, and I went around back, and uh, there was a chicken plucked, feet sticking up in the air, no head. I started looking at that chicken. I was looking at that chicken like, God damn, that's a nice looking chicken. That is a big chicken. That's a plump chicken. Now, I've never really salivated over a, you know, plucked chicken with feet in the air that, oh, been decapitated. But I'm looking at this thing and I'm like, all right, I'm fucking doing it. <laughs> I jump for the chicken and out of nowhere comes a guy with like a butcher knife like the big square ones, a Chinese guy. And pretty soon we're in this weird standoff where I'm trying to grab the slippery chicken. We're on either side of the table. I go break left. He breaks right. I break right. He breaks left. And we're ch he's chasing me around the table like, like a Tom and Jerry cartoon. Finally, I realize I'm not getting the fucking chicken. This guy's protecting the chicken. I run out of the place as fast as I could. I cross the street. Chinese dude crosses the street. I jump over a fence. He jumps over a fence. I take a left. He takes a left. This guy's not giving up. So I, I head towards the beach where I was going to barbecue the chicken. Now, my plan was to get a stick, plant it in the sand, have it sticking straight up, build a fire under it, and take the chicken upside down, stick it the stick up its ass, and slow smoke the chicken. Like a smoked hickory homeless chicken. Homeless chicken cuisine. Anyways, I cross the street, Chinese dude, hot pursuit, heading towards my friend, my busking friend. He's standing there and he's like fending off like Moroccan guys on the beach. And they're doing this weird like juju where they're doing these fake like soccer kick moves and like trying to get around to our guitars. And my friend's like really panicked and he doesn't know what to do. It's three on one and they're speaking in Arabic. He's freaked out. And I come in there with my fists out, being, having been chased by a fucking dude with a, a, butcher, a butcher knife. I come flying at these guys like, What's the, <laughs> what the fuck is the problem, guys? And these guys, you know, they take off. And um, 
Yeah, it was like the chicken blues. Headless chicken blues. Anyways, you know, my friend left. And we got split up. And I'm there. And I turned myself into a some kind of like shelter. And it was all men. And I remember sleeping there and waking up and they would feed you. It was some kind of like Red Cross thing. And I'm there and I, I stayed there for a couple weeks, day after day. And, you know, they'd serve you stale bread and like this kind of like lentil, lentejas, I think they call it, soup. And you, you know, sitting there and all these men in their sweaters and these older, older fellas, probably divorced or widowers or whatever. And you're sitting there and you're dining in silence. And I don't know if anyone ever had breakfast at a homeless shelter or whatever, or halfway house or whatever. Not a lot of chit-chat. <laughs> Not a lot of chit-chat in the shelter. So there I am, and I'll never forget this couple that I saw sitting down. It was what appeared to be a pretty normal-looking guy and his woman. And the meticulous detail that went into him setting up his placemat and her placemat... And the way he tended to her, and the way he looked at her, and the way they solemnly ate their food without looking at anyone in the eyes, and just sort of looking straight forward, eating, um, it moved me. It moved me like the Greyhound bus moves me. When you see a soldier with his rucksack get on, or you see someone that you know has just got out of prison get on, or you see an old timer get on. And you just wonder what their story is. And you try to put it together before the next bus stop, you know. And I w looked at them every morning as they're eating, and I was thinking, did they lose their home? Who would not take them in? They look like lovely people, and their faces never left um, my thoughts. Anyways, after that, I went and turned myself into a police station because I just couldn't take it anymore. And I said... You got to help me. I'm really sorry. I never asked for money. This is weird. You know, maybe someone can wire me money. I don't know. Do you, can, can you help me? I'm homeless. Um, my name is William McCarthy. I'm from California. And the man leapt to his feet and he said, I am Antonio Flores and my brother lives in California. <laughs> yes. Oh, he bailed me out. And this really had sucked because I went to jail in the north of Spain before Barcelona, uh, hopping the train thing and that didn't go well so here i am in the south of spain near morocco near north, north africa absolute shit show so the guy took takes me and uh, takes me to the train station and helped me with a ticket bless him and he also like in hollywood film style ripped the patch off of his police uniform and it said malaga police <laughs> and he handed it to me Antonio Flores, I love you, man. Thank you. Now you're on a podcast many years later. We should find that guy. Antonio Flores, Malaga Police Department. Anyways, so I end up in Madrid, and I start busking there. And what I did is I'd play in the subways, the bottom of an escalator. So people, you know, escalators move slow, so they, you know, people had to listen to me. <laughs> And so hopefully I could convince them by the time they got to the end of the escalator to throw a coin in my case and kept me alive. And of course I had nowhere to go. And this fellow was just standing there listening to me, looking at me. 
And um, turns out his name was Yael. He said he was a musician. And he invited me to his house. Of course, I was very happy to not be in a shelter and to hang out with this young musician who was just as young as I was. And he took me to his house where he lived with his parents and he opened his refrigerator and he said, please eat anything you want. And I looked at him like, you know what you're saying to me, right? He's like, yes, of course, Billy, go ahead. And I said, okay. And I was literally devouring. I had like, you know, gazpacho in my eyebrows and my hair. I was eating cheese like a watermelon slice, guzzling beer, guzzling whatever I could get my hands on, just tearing through the refrigerator. And in walks this gentleman that looks like, like Pablo Picasso, but he had hair. And his name um, was Antonio. His wife's name was Sonia. Um, Yael has a sister named Tanya. And they let me stay there for weeks. I don't know, four weeks, three weeks. I just lived at their house. And uh, it got kind of weird. Uh, Yael's sister kissed me in the bathroom once. Uh, that got a little funny. So I was trying to keep away from all that and keep my place to stay. But every night upstairs, I would smoke cigarettes. Antonio was smoking Ducados, which is a very heavy, heavy Spanish cigarette. And I was smoking my Fortunas. And we would talk. You know, I would translate very patiently. And Sonia, who is French, would come and I would listen to her speak to the children in French. I would speak to them in English. Antonio would speak in Spanish. So it was just like this absolutely wonderful environment. And I'd play them covers of uh, Big Bill Brunzi, uh, Lead Belly, Woody Guthrie, um, anybody that I can think of, really. And, and I just, and you know, Antonio just really, really loved it. And um, eventually, this sister, Tanya, started being more daring and not only kissed me, but started getting really frisky. And then eventually, I just started staying in a room with her. The weird thing is, <laughs> that is so not American to wake up after sleeping in a girl's room and like, have breakfast with her parents. And just kind of be a weird vagabond that everyone was treating so nicely. So that's Europe. Anyways, Madrid's near and dear to my heart. My motorcycle's on its way. I won't even tell you the drama that's gone on. But uh, all I can say is I have a Polish driver who's coming with no ramp. Who's dropping my motorcycle off. And uh, people who don't speak English. My Spanish is okay. Not great. Um, I'll figure out how to get it out of the van. That's on Monday. Um, but back to Antonio Yael and the family. Um, I played here with Noel Gallagher, and I also played the Mad Cool Festival on the main stage. This is an arena. And um, I, w I was playing, and I had no idea. And their last, their last name is Gaitero. I had no idea if the, if the family would come. And there I am, with the flickering, strobing lights, and the, the, the haze on stage, and this big rock and roll Augustine's thing. And I look down and there's Antonio and his sweater looking like an elegant gentleman. And I look at Yael and Yael's there. And I see a little girl standing next to Yael's hip and it's his daughter, Tui. And it made me so proud and I could see on Antonio's face the, the pride that he had. Um, he was pr proud of me and, and that meant a great deal to me. Well, If everything goes well, my motorcycle actually does arrive Monday. I need to register it and do a couple things, but then I'm heading up to Bilbao to see Yael and visit him and his daughter Tui. And hopefully I get to see Antonio too. Thank you for letting me tell you some stories. Thank you for coming out on the tour. 
It was an absolute honor to play for you. I'll be back in Europe. I'm playing on June 8th um, in Holland. And the information's online. I'm also playing the 9th. I'm playing for the 30th anniversary of the 2-meter series with my friend JD, who is a living legend. Please check that out if you are in Amsterdam. And if not, I will see you at the festivals in July. I wanted to say thank you very much for listening to Onward with William McCarthy. And keep the faith and stay sane. Bye-bye.